it is truly this unbelievable mix of people and characters. And after spending so much time in the industry and being part of these conversations on sales desks where it's, it's almost like, imagine a locker room, but for sales professionals. <laughs> I talked to people to my left and right. And I said, this has to be captured. This audience needs to be published or we need to talk about these things because it was truly ridiculous. The antics and the people, the stories. And you realize that there's dozens, if not hundreds of firms where people share this experience. And so the internal use only podcast was built out of that. Welcome to Keep Going, a podcast from Azuma that shares motivational stories from small business owners. I'm Greg. And I'm Ben. And we're your hosts for this episode. Today, we're talking with Dan, the creator of the Internal Use Only Podcast, a podcast for financial professionals by financial professionals. Dan, welcome. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. So Dan, tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you began this podcast. Yeah. So more about myself been a financial professional, I suppose, broadly speaking, there's a million different avenues in the whole world of finance. But financial sales is a very unique segment of the industry. So that's really been the majority of my professional career, at least the last 7 years. Before that, a little bit of a different background, working actually for my college fraternity, which was a wild experience. But (laughs) I found the world of financial sales after that. And it is truly this unbelievable mix of people and characters. And after spending so much time in the industry and being part of these conversations on sales desks where it's, it's almost like, imagine a locker room, but for sales professionals, yeah. <laughs> I talked to people to my left and right. And I said, this has to be captured. This audience needs to be published or we need to talk about these things because it was truly ridiculous, the antics and the people, the stories. And you realize that there's dozens, if not hundreds of firms where people share this experience. And so the internal use only podcast was built out of that. If you think of the financial professional world, there's lots of compliance. And almost every email you send in between your team or for publications, there's a big red bold disclaimer that says internal use only. So hopefully the name of the show is a nod to the fact that these are financial professionals talking amongst financial professionals in topics and experiences that resonate with that audience. That's really cool. Where are you from and where did you grow up? I grew up outside of New York City in a suburb of New Jersey. For anyone that might be familiar, Westfield. If you're part of the New Jersey area, you always ask what exit are you from, but it's not too far outside of Manhattan. So Northern New Jersey, if you will. If I wasn't in school, I spent almost all of my time either working at a golf course or playing hockey. I basically was working to fund playing hockey. If anyone tuning in has ever played the sport or their kids are about to play, you know that it's not a cheap sport. So the agreement was my parents would drive me around and I would have to pay for all of my teams each year, the fees, the equipment and everything. So I worked all fall, spring and summer to pay for it. And a lot of that really shaped individual efforts, hard work and discipline, which I still carry with me today. And I think some of that has materialized here in this podcast, which is my first actual like independent effort yeah. and first attempt at kind of doing something fully on my own. Wow. Very cool. Well, you've been going for a while now. That's Yeah. almost. Two, I think almost two years upcoming in March, 2023. Oh, congratulations. That's yeah. awesome, man. That's a lot of work for a podcast. Thank you. Yeah. It was uh, the goal. I mean, I think the vision is to at least continue pushing towards 100. I think we're coming up on our 40th episode 
and I've got a few that are planned. So we'll hopefully crack that 50 mark soon. And uh, it's been great. I try to go every couple of weeks. It's very dependent on schedules of guests and how quickly I can balance all of this with my own work schedule and recording the interviews off hours. So <laughs> it's been a ton of fun though. That's what keeps me going. Oh, that's cool. cool. So what caused you to even get into the financial industry? When I mentioned the golf course that I grew up working at, there was a large percentage of the individuals that were members there that commuted into Manhattan, either let's say worked on Wall Street or were financial advisors. I worked there from like ages 12 to 22. So like I had no idea what they did. Some were abrasive personalities, some were the nicest people in the world. I never would have known about the industry except for the fact that I knew that they all either worked in New York or in investments and finance. So fast forward to the time that I start graduating, think about real world careers. I was able to talk to some folks that had jobs in the industry and I would say, okay, well, I've done sales before. I like relationship building, not a math person whatsoever. And I'd never studied finance. So like, what directions can I go? And this career path of wholesaling and financial services sales, which is now this audience that I share these stories and interviews with, that was a path that some of the individuals I chatted with said I could go down. So if you take former athletes or otherwise people that maybe didn't study, that's, that's kind of the, the, the pool for wholesalers. So you can imagine it's quite the crew. So wholesaling in the finance industry, what exactly are you referring to there when you say wholesaling? In the financial industry, so I guess it's like a intermediary distribution sales, or even if you think about any other type of wholesaling, where I guess that in between is asset managers. So you think of big asset managers like people know BlackRock, you know Prudential, those large names. Mm -hmm. They have all this variety of investment products that get offered to financial advisors, who then invest in those funds on behalf of their clients. So let's say your parents, mom and dad, or let's say a small foundation or endowment. So the wholesalers are the sales advocates that work with the financial advisors to educate them on how the product might fit the various risk tolerances for their clients, or where does this fit overall within your portfolio? How are we different from other products that are doing it similarly? So it's very under the radar, I would say. If you said, I'm a wholesaler, no one knows what that means. Yeah. <laughs> Yet, you have this fairly large subset of the industry. I think the last metrics I got typically on wholesalers was somewhere around like 12,000 probably. But there's even more that are tangential to that whole community. So it's really interesting that the wholesalers sort of fit in between this world of financial advisors and their end clients. But they're a pretty huge part of it. And there's actually not much resources or conversations or tools tailored to them. Which is why I thought this podcast could be really interesting to actually help that universe either be better at their jobs, adapt to the future, and ultimately just be a better partner in this whole exchange in the financial services industry. Very cool. That makes a lot of sense. And if it doesn't, let me know because we can talk about it more. I may do a diagram here. Well, it's cool that you found that. I consider that kind of a niche, right? Like that's not something that you hear about a lot. Or that's even really like promoted outside of this world. So it's cool that you found that and that you've been able to get in there and now you're basically elevating it, you know, by providing these additional resources for them. You are spot on as far as like a niche community. So if you think of, let's say like CrossFitters are a good example, or like mountain bikers, people that have this like specific interest set. And when you meet someone that's in it, it's like you're talking this different language and you can go on forever. And it's like, oh my God, I didn't realize that they were also into that or that they do that. I would liken that to the wholesaling community 
where if you introduce yourself to someone, nine out of 10 times, they have no idea what we do, nor would they really care. But then that one out of 10 times, you become best friends immediately because you're like, oh my God, I know, I know what you do every day. <laughs> you and I know what you're talking about. Like we're speaking the same language here. So that's what we're trying to bring, I guess, in this massive community together for through this podcast. And not many other groups have ever really tried to capture this specific audience. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I know this podcast, it sounds like it's almost a little bit of a labor of love for you. You're still doing a day job, right? And then yes, you're doing yes, it at other times. What does a typical day look like for you? Or how does this play out for you as far as being able to fulfill your responsibilities associated with this podcast? I probably commit four hours or so start to finish for any given episode. I try to do at least two a month. And like I said, a lot of that's going to just depend on recording times and finding and sourcing the different guests that we have. So I hope, you know, eight hours a month, I can typically structure that either early morning, later at night, weekends. So I'm trying to make sure that it's flexible there. I I definitely have spent uh, a lot of evenings doing recordings and reaching out to folks, which I think is interesting because, you know, you do sales in your regular day to day. You kind of shut down after a certain point or there's so much going on. I think because of the interviews and the fun I've had doing it, I'll just operate at random hours and it doesn't seem to matter. I can catch someone on LinkedIn or send them an email and whether it's 9.30 or 7am, it's like, ah, you know, whatever, I'm just going to get this out there. So it's kept me going and a day in the life would be hard, but I would say four hours, I would split up an hour, maybe one day a week or concentrate like three hours on a Saturday. Yeah. You're doing the whole thing, right? You're researching the guests, you're yeah, coming up with the interview questions, you're doing the interviewing, you're doing the editing at the end and... Scheduling alone is like a huge effort. Right. To the best that I've can, I've tried to just like automate as much of that as I can. So like a good example when it comes to scheduling, one of my biggest pet peeves is just excessive back and forth emails to schedule. You know, it's like perfect when you can have a calendar link and just book there, but I've not invested in that type of calendar booking yet. But what I've done is I basically offered like four time blocks and I've named them early bird. So anyone that wants to do this pre the working day, maybe they'll get a workout in or a coffee. Let's record like 7 to 8 a.m. Some people are like, perfect. I love that. I've offered like the power lunch. We'll do it in between 12 to 1 or the happy hour, 5 to 6 or even later. If you know, want to pour a cocktail and enjoy this, have fun with it. So I've tried to mix it up that way. But the email scheduling, I've just said like, here's the slots. You tell me what date works and like, we'll do it. I can't go back and forth on yeah. eight different emails with, oh, date that time? No, no, no. You know, we, we, we don't have time for that. Cool. Well, and maybe that's... You kind of touched on maybe some of the challenges of running a podcast, but are there any other challenges that you faced while launching this business and keeping it going? One that I knew I was going to face when I started the podcast, which ironically enough has become something that the audience has said they love about it. And that is compliance. All of these salespeople, I imagine, like wholesalers, they're regulated by FINRA, which is a governing body. And there's compliance rules for what they can do, what they can post, what they can post. This is on like social media and stuff. So a lot of this is just regulatory because they're selling investments. So heavily regulated industry. So when I first started, a lot of people were like, well, firms won't let people come on the show because of compliance purposes. They're not going to let them share their stories or tell their experiences. And so early on, a few of my first guests, we went completely dark mode. No names, no firms. They agreed to come on and they were like, you know what? Let's give it a shot. And as we got more and more, 
A, people were like, this is awesome. And they realized like, B, it actually isn't violating any of these compliance rules. And there's just a couple of steps to get their firm approval. And it's worked out well now. I have a couple of templates that basically overcome those objections from compliance. Mm-hmm. And a great proof point of it working is that we had Pacific Life, which is a massive entity. One of their wholesalers came on, they co-branded it, they promoted it. And they were like, this is a great story. Pacific Life, internal use only. My favorite part about that was the branded graphic had an asterisk that was like, Pacific Life is not affiliated with the internal use only podcast, nor does it agree with its opinions, whatever the disclaimer was. And I'm like, this is perfect. I want to not have the same oversight as these firms, but I do want the employees of these firms to not be afraid to come on the show. So compliance and getting guests on the show is one, mostly because of our industry. And then second, as we got towards monetizing, I tried to run before I could really walk as far as the business behind it, but had an opportunity where one sponsor, which is a service provider to the audience that I share or speak to, they wanted to sponsor a series of episodes. They've sponsored podcasts before. And I didn't have the right information or approval for some of the companies that I wanted to get their wholesalers on to do the episode. So I was like all fired up that this group said, yeah, we'll sponsor episodes. And I'm like, this is what I wanted to monetize the podcast. And then I was just like, completely stopped in my tracks because four out of five that I thought could do this, their firms shot them down. And it was just a reminder that I still have a little bit of going for like branding, credibility, accuracy of listeners. So that's kind of where I hope to grow and keep investing for the next year. Very cool. So you've seen the potential. I've had random people leave me voicemails. I've had people like text me or LinkedIn me just being like, this idea is awesome. Like no one's doing anything like this. And that's been reassuring and I think a proof of concept. So now it's more about taking those first two years, what I've learned, where we can go and actually building it out and making it what I hope it can be, which is this one-stop shop platform, open source, user-driven, unfiltered by other corporate oversight or biases. And I think that will be a very interesting way of capturing this financial services audience that has not really taken that angle before. Right. Well, like you said earlier on, when you meet somebody in that industry, you feel like you connect because it's like a breath of fresh air to finally talk to somebody who's in it like you are. I'm sure that's what people are feeling when they listen to your podcast. It's like, oh, here's a conversation in my space that is really open and sharing and and willing to shed light on issues that maybe are kept in the dark because we're such a niche industry. Sounds really like it's got legs for sure. Yeah, for sure. Everyone that does the job kind of does the same thing, if that makes sense. There's thousands of people out there that are more or less experiencing the same highs and the same lows and the same nuances, the same intricacies, like the travel stories. Everyone travels. And so there's awesome stories that guests tell about just randomly being in this place because they're on like a work trip. Everybody's got an airport luggage loss story, like showing up to a conference basically with like t-shirts and shorts because the airport lost your luggage. (laughs) So that type of community building and stories have resonated. And it's cool to see that all generations like young and old are like, this is fun and keep it going. Very cool. So awesome experiences and thanks for sharing them. I'm wondering, you know, along with the challenges, what is some advice you would have for other small business owners, people looking to go out and do their own thing? Podcasts specifically, keep going and have a goal for how far you want to go. Most podcasts, I mean, there are millions, there's millions of podcasts now. Majority of them do not go past seven or eight episodes. So in theory, it's anyone can grab a microphone and 
throw a podcast up. It's actually not that hard to do. But sticking with it, I think is really the grind. Even if I think on successful podcasts that I follow or that I try to emulate, they probably didn't catch their success or quote unquote breakthrough until somewhere between two and 300 episodes. It takes a while to build. So it's a long haul for that. And focusing on a specific industry or niche, I think that's what will help you out. Business-wise, maybe I'm just speaking this from where I am point of view wise, but I'm getting to the point where I need, might start asking people for like fundraising and presenting a business plan. When you're ready for that, that's a different commitment completely than just having this fun, ah, here's an idea for a podcast. Now it's like, okay, this is actually a business and let's get towards it. Like I filed an LLC last year. So I went through all that process, starting to think of how much I'll invest for this calendar year, where it's going to go. So maybe my advice is uh, less poignant on the, the business side. Maybe I can help on the podcast more, but hopefully that's an okay answer. Yeah, no, Absolutely. I think it's great. I do think you're right. There is a point where it's like, hey, am I just going to keep doing this for fun or am I going to go and turn this into something? You know, what's interesting is that the LLC application, at least I think in the state of Massachusetts where I filed my LLC, that's where I'm based out of. There's some line in there that's like, in the event that it's just like a hobby, it can't be filed as an LLC, which is so funny because I was looking through that. I'm like, oh, sure. I guess in theory, if someone proclaims their hobby as an LLC, they can write off the expenses, right. which would be obviously not the intent. So it almost like lit a fire under me where I'm like, okay, yeah, now that I filed this, like I've got my, I've got to give myself 12 to 18 months to actually determine if this can make revenue or if this is just going to be a hobby that I consider an expense. Yeah, it's definitely a faith thing. You're looking ahead at what this may be. And you're deciding whether or not you're going to put in the effort to make it that, right? Exactly. Because you know, if you do nothing, it's not going to become anything. At least we've had enough people share random ideas that I'm like, okay, there's something here. I don't know what this will congeal into, but there's something. So we'll figure out where that goes. Right. You got substance. That's great. Well, Dan, you've, you've actually talked about what keeps you going a few times. You've used those words, just keep going. I just keep going. That's our final question that we like to ask all of our friends on the podcast is what is it that keeps you going every day in this effort? I had a pretty big mindset shift around 2020, like right before that. Interestingly enough, I had just kind of come out of a time in my life where I was dealing with some anxiety. It was probably like the second time in my life where I actually like really had to confront it and deal with it. I wasn't loving what I was doing for work and I jotted down basically like this personal vision which was five by 35. And so the idea was to have control and autonomy of how I spend my time and what I do. I want to have five income sources by age of 35. And so this podcast really took off around 2020 when I was like, well, okay, if I do this for long enough and I give myself five years, I think that I can create this as one avenue because I'd like to do it. I know that it might work and it could potentially be one of those. So as I've now built that out, this is one of those five by 35. And that's part of this internal motivation and vision that I'm going for. And I got a couple of years left. I'm not sure if I'm going to get to five, but it's fun actually trying to get there. And at least a couple of them are starting to pay off. So I would say outside of just what I've shared today, that internal motivation of five by 35 has made this fun and lighthearted and almost a, a game with myself and some of my friends that I share the ideas with. So that's definitely keeping me going. That is really fun. Very cool. If you've got two by 35, I'd say you're in really good shape. <laughs> I know. It's aim for the stars, right? That was really it. Where I'm like, all right, well, if you fall short on this one, it's still, it's still okay. <laughs> still in a great place. Yeah. <laughs> well, we love what you're doing, man. We wish you all the best. 
Thank you. Yeah. Thank you listeners for joining us today. If you or someone you know would like to share your small business story, please go to mazumausa.com slash keep going and fill out the form at the bottom of the page. And if you are looking for tax advice for your small business, be sure to join our Keep Going Facebook group and check out our website at mazumausa.com.